This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You are listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the show, we welcome Dr. Richard Brown, former director of the Mississippi Entomological Museum at Mississippi State. With a love for insects that has spanned more than six decades, Dr. Brown has plenty to share about the bugs found in Mississippi. We'll talk about what he's seeing right now and highlight the role of the caterpillar in our ecosystem. Dr. Major's here, ready for pet questions, and Libby always likes to hear about your encounters with nature. Join our conversation this morning. The phone, uh, the phone number is one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. If you ever miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at seven. Or is it six? It's six, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I said six, seven. Yeah. It would be seven if you're uh, in the eastern time zone, I guess. <laughs> anyway, good morning, Libby. I understand that you are our West Coast correspondent again. Uh, what have you been seeing on your recent travels? Okay, I'm in Burns, Oregon this morning. And last night it got cold. It was 27, I think, when we woke up this morning. So I haven't gone out much, but I'm watching through the window and seeing some cool things. Oh, but I want to talk for just a second about what I had at home before I left, because that's what our listeners are going to be um, watching for. And our summer tanagers had returned from their migration to Central America. And I didn't get good looks at them before I left, but we got to hear them singing. So we know they're there. And the um, tulip poplar tree is covered with with buds and about to open those pretty fleshy, yellowy, orange flowers. And the birds like to eat those. And so most years, as soon as those open, um, we're going to see orchard Oreos and Baltimore Oreos in the tree. Never very many, always a, just a few, enough to keep it real exciting. And then the mulberry um tree is covered with just berries that are still green so when those turn we'll start getting a lot more birds so everybody should be expecting that suite of of birds that are coming in right now would be indigo buntings and blue gross beaks maybe some painted buntings if you're real lucky um the uh, orchard oreo baltimore oreo summer tanager and then when i get the mulberries in blue in uh you know when they're ripe the cedar wax wings will start coming in so a lot of great things to watch for and red-breasted gross beaks my favorite there um i always get a few of those so i'm hoping that i won't miss all that but right now we're watching snow geese and i just watched california quail they're running around outside the window even in the cold they were real active last uh evening magpies uh, of course, robins, or everybody loves to see the robins out here because that is a sign of spring for them, that their robins are, are active. And uh, we saw Casson's finch yesterday, which is a new bird for me. Uh, got to stick on the uh, bird theme here for just a minute with a call and an email. Uh, this email says, is there a way to detour barn swallows and other birds from nesting under our carport? 
Although I love the birds, my husband's not happy with all the bird poop on the vehicles and is constantly washing them. Someone suggested an owl or hawk decoy, uh, but do you think that would really work? I'm willing to try anything. Yeah, and I've heard that a snake decoy will work, a Uh rubber snake. Okay. And uh, just, you know, well, she's got an idea of where they want to be now. Anything that um, they can put up to discourage them. But, of course, the other way to look at it is to try to talk her husband into um, (laughs) wanting to watch those birds. (laughs) Or if you will put up a a little nesting platform, like a little ledge or a little shelf, uh, somewhere where it's okay with with everybody in the family that the birds nest there, uh, you might um, attract them to another. They'll they'll still like to be under an eave, you know, like a, a cliff kind of a thing. But if you if you make them a nice little shelf to nest on, up high, you know, right under the eave of the roof, they might pick that instead of the, of the places where he would rather they not nest. All right. So that would be my suggestion: is to not to run them off so completely, but to try to encourage them to go to places where you do feel like you can tolerate their nest. So they're fun to watch, and they're going to catch a lot of mosquitoes and other insects. Doctor uh, Major, I, any thoughts? Go ahead. Yeah, I suppose this is a uh, open garage, and uh, mm-hmm. what you can do is take uh, string cord and. Uh, make a kind of a network of that and put shiny uh, uh, medallions on it, if you can get them at a craft store or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, in some cases, I've seen that work on uh, front porches and things like that. So if you could hang that where your car wouldn't hit it when it comes in, but I believe that might deter to have those there and have some shiny, as I said, medallions or whatever. Just kind of make a, uh, not a web, but make a... A uh, network where you can put those, and I think maybe the birds will see that and not come in. Uh, the other thing that we talked about is sometimes the birds uh, with uh, these uh, deterrent measures get used to them. So I would say maybe if you you did the the sparkly thing and then maybe had a, an owl and a snake, if you sort of you know mixed and matched so that it wasn't the same thing, that they they never know what to expect. That might help too, maybe. We've and got then a, give them another place to go. Yes, <laughs> I, I like I like both of those ideas. We've got uh, Spencer on the line from Hernando uh, with a question for us. Spencer, thank you for calling. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, the question this morning is, where do baby ducks go once they come out of the nest? Uh, I had a duck build a nest in my flower bed, and the babies all hashed out yesterday. And they went walking across the yard, and I haven't really seen them since. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're good at hiding, but the parents should be around. Is there a mother duck around the yard somewhere? Yeah, she's out by, I have a uh, wet area out in my yard, a bunch of iris in it. She's out there. Are they in the iris, do you think? They, that's a, yeah, if she's staying around one area, she's probably gotten, gotten them hidden in that area. Let's okay, hope so. I don't need to worry about keeping yeah, if, her nest, and I can go ahead and clean that area out. If yeah, if where you're talking about where they have nested, the place where they nested, if you wanted to clean that out, you're probably fine. But leave her some places where she can hide with those babies. Okay, I will do it. Thank you. 
Thanks for the call, Spencer. Good luck. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. You know, Dr. Major, today we're going to be talking with Dr. Richard Brown from the uh, Mississippi Entomological Museum. We know that you're an avid insect collector. Would you say you have a most prized specimen, or what's one of your favorite uh, things in your collection? Wow, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. I have a couple of things, some of them from Central America. <clears throat> one is called a black witch, and it's one of the larger moths. Uh, with a wingspan, you know, really, really big. I'd say probably seven inches across, give or take. Uh, they, I saw a beautiful uh, moth yesterday at the house, just on the wall, uh, Luna moths, and they're out this time of year, and they're always beautiful. They're kind of a green, one of our few green uh, moths of butterflies, and they are very attractive this time of year. You know, as far as the other things, there's some things that are that are hard to catch. I've got the uh, Reduvidae beetle, the blood-sucking cone nose, if you will, the one that spreads Chagas disease. Uh, it would be good. Maybe I need to kind of catalog this and talk about them sometime on the on the air. But yes, it, it's really interesting, and you learn a lot when you uh, are involved with uh, insects, butterflies, moths. I think you've got a, a good uh, topic for a future show there. We could, we, you could uh, kind of help us walk through your uh, your collection. In the meantime, we have a email here that says, I have a corgi that regularly howls with me. However, recently it seems he's gone hoarse and he's howling at a much higher pitch and barking at a higher pitch. Any idea what caused that? <laughs> he may be maturing. I don't I don't know. That's, that's kind of strange. Sometimes they will get uh, maybe a a uh, laryngitis or something like that but still it sounds like this howling is normal and i can envision the owner and the dog sitting there howling at each other <laughs> um we have some dogs sometime here at the clinic that will especially siberian huskies when they start howling they can get the whole clinic howling <laughs> uh, it can be a whole chorus of dogs howling and sometimes it's something as simple as a maybe an ambulance going by or something like that that will set it off and we'll have quite a chorus. But I'm not sure I could say why this dog's voice is changing uh, other than maybe it's it's getting, maybe trying a new range of howling. So you wouldn't say that that's a, a cause for concern? I wouldn't unless the dog is showing signs of uh, being sick, coughing, gagging, this sort of thing. I would think it's probably okay. All righty. Uh, Time for our first break on Creature Comforts. When we return, we'll welcome our guest for the hour, Dr. Richard Brown. He's the former director of the Mississippi Entomology Museum at Mississippi State. We're going to be talking bugs, so stay tuned. If you want to to join today's show, call with your questions and comments. It's 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back after this. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. 
Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Our guest for the hour is Dr. Richard Brown, former director of the Mississippi Entomology Museum at Mississippi State. If you want to join the conversation with a question or comment, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Got a couple calls on the line. We'll hold those for just a minute as we welcome our guest. So, Richard, good morning, and thanks for joining us. You know, the last time we had you on the show, you were the director of the museum, but that's no longer the case. So how is retirement treating you? I'm loving retirement. Thanks so much. It's uh, I'm doing work every day at the office and museum, but it's uh, fun work. And, and so uh, it's been really enjoyable. I want to add something to Dr. Major's comment about the Luna Moth, because I have visitors from uh, Washington this week, and they were, we were collecting in my backyard, and there was a Luna Moth, you know, with those long tails. And uh, Dr. Major, you may not know why the tails are there. I always thought it was like a, a tail on a kite, you know, for keep them stable, but it's been shown that they deflect the sonar of bats, and that's the escape bats because of those long tails. Wow, that's interesting. Um, so if uh, folks are unfamiliar with the Entomology Museum, uh, tell us a little bit about it. Is it, is it open to the public? Uh, yes, we have two components. We have the uh, exhibits in the foyer of our building and the Clay Lyle Entomology Building on the university campus. And then we have research collections, and those are open by appointment, uh, a phone, or any just walk in and ask if you can see the research collections. And those include about 2 million specimens uh, from around the world, 60 countries, all 50 states, and we have everything from the Egyptian scarab to death head sphinx to lots of very interesting things that we're glad to show to people. All right, so we talked a little bit about moths, and you talked about that last time you were with us. This morning we're going to take a step back talking about caterpillars. To start, remind us again of what a caterpillar is. Well, a caterpillar is the, the larva. That's the immature stage that hatches from the egg. And then with butterflies and beetles and many insects, they go from the larval stage to a pupa. And that pupa sometimes has a cocoon around it. And then from the pupa, it's the moth or butterfly that emerges. And today I just want to, you know, bring people up to, to date on caterpillars and what's going on with caterpillars. So uh, every butterfly or moth out there was once a caterpillar, is that right? That's right, exactly. So uh, if you would, maybe tell us about some different types of caterpillars that people might be seeing or should be prepared to see this time of year? Well, when we use the word caterpillar, sometimes in common words, we would just say it's a worm. You know, it's a, uh, my mom had tomatoes in the backyard. My, one of my jobs was to go out and look for tomato hornworms. And they were so difficult to see, but you'd look for the droppings underneath the tomato plant. And we have canker worms and bow worms and inch worms and cut worms, army worms. It goes on and on. And all of these are caterpillars uh, that we have. And we many times we don't see them because many caterpillars feed inside stems or roots or even inside leaves. And we just see a tracing of where the caterpillar feeds. But... 
The caterpillars that feed outside are the ones that we, you know, externally on the plant, those are the ones we normally encounter or when they're moving around. So what are a couple of examples that we might see this time of year? Well, right now uh, you may see these caterpillars that have a stripe down their back, and there's some that have like a keyhole pattern. Uh, someone mentioned that it looks sort of like penguins on the back, and these are tent caterpillars. If driving down the road you see a web in the crotch of a tree, often a plum or cherry tree, um, that's their. That's where they live, and they come out at night, and they'll feed on the branches and the leaves, and then in the morning they return to their tent down at the main stalk of the tree, and uh, those we call the tent caterpillars. Now, one of them, the one with the keyhole pattern on its back, doesn't make a tent. It's just feeds exposed. But right now I've got them spinning cocoons in my front door, uh, the little white cocoons, and, and you may see those. And that's the most abundant caterpillar. They're crawling now looking for a place to spin a cocoon. Um, there's many others out there, but they're not as obvious as the tent caterpillar. Uh, we'll talk more about caterpillars in just a minute, but we do want to get the, to our phone call. And uh, Scotty Ray's calling in from Moorville. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, I have a question for, for the – but I'm, I'm interested in this bug museum. I didn't get – where is it? We are at Mississippi State University. If you go to the website and look for campus maps, look for the Clay Lyle or just entomology building. And we are in the entomology building on the west side of the campus. Um, you can also find us on a website if you have access to the internet, and it has contact information uh, with maps on how to find us and phone numbers. That sounds so really cool. Google, I'd, I'd like to come see it. Well, you'd be welcome. And now that I'm retired, I'm free to give you a personal tour. <laughs> That's perfect. Hey, did, did you say you have something called the Death Head Speaks? Yes, yes. That was that? popularized by movie Silence of the Lambs. This crazy ah. guy was raising these Death Head Sphinx. And when the moth comes out, it's a kind of Sphinx moth, you know, like the tomato hornworm. And, and it's got a pattern on the back that looks like a skull. And I'd be glad to show you one of those, and I think you agree that Death Head Sphinx is a pretty good name for it. <laughs> well, you know, Silence of the Lambs was written by a dude from Mississippi. Who was it written by? Scotty Ray, who is the author? Thomas Harris. Okay. A Mississippian. I didn't know that. I oh, did yeah, not absolutely. either. Yeah, you know, and if I, I hear... I hear that uh, there's been some talk at Ole Miss of changing the name, school name, to athletic name from Rebels to something not associated with a loser. <laughs> and Deathhead Sphinx would be a really cool <laughs> The Ole Miss Deathhead Sphinxes. <laughs> I, I, I buy a shirt. <laughs> well, now, now, Scotty Ray, since they're at the Entomology Museum in Mississippi State, that might cause some real trouble between Ole Miss and State. I don't know. But I agree with you. That's a, that's a killer name for a sports team. <laughs> well, my question for the for the doc is, um, I, those Soresto, uh, uh flea and tick collars, I, um, I bought those and I was disappointed with it. It only lasted about six months, and now, of course, it's been in the news with some problems, and I'm looking for advice on what to buy instead. <laughs> 
It's a great question, uh, and I think the reports are not complete yet on the Soresto collars as far as the toxicity. Apparently, some dogs and some people are very uh, susceptible to the Soresto collar. So this it's for a word of caution, I would discuss with your vet there. They claim an eight-month, I believe, uh, time that it works. There are others available. Uh, you've got... Uh, Brevecto, which is a three-month pill, the dogs eat it very well. It does fleas and ticks. Uh, there's uh, Advantage Plus, uh, which is a topical that works quite well. <clears throat> Excuse me, but it has to be applied once a month. So there's all kinds of things that you can use. Some of the heartworm medication has in combination flea and tick uh medication such as Soresto, Trifexis, some of those. So you have a lot of options. Uh, I use a lot in my practice, a lot of the Brevecto, and people seem to like it a lot. All right, uh, Scotty Ray, thanks for your call. I know that uh, I use Brevecto for my cat, and it's very effective, so that's my uh, endorsement. Um, <clears throat> we're visiting today with uh, Dr. Richard Brown on um, uh, Creature Comforts, learning about the insects in Mississippi, talking specifically about caterpillars. Uh, Richard, what about the wild plum? Is that a type of caterpillar might be found in Mississippi? The, well, the, the tent caterpillars right now are on the tree of plums, wild plums. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, we, before long, we'll start seeing other kinds of caterpillars coming out. And many of them are so cryptic, they're camouflaged and difficult to see, but if you tap a branch, you know, with a stick, you'll, they'll fall down. You can see them. But they are just, they are masters of uh, being camouflaged on, on leaves when they're feeding. And that they have to be that way to avoid uh, getting preyed upon by birds and, and, uh, and to escape. Let's go back to the phone lines. Our friend Sue from Beaumont has called today. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air with us. Good morning. <clears throat> I'd like to ask if there are any extinct or endangered insects. I was thinking about uh, the dung beetle or scarab beetle. I used to see them when we were a kid, you know. We had cows, and these beetles would roll little balls of dung. They had these long pinchers out front. And uh, they they looked exactly like the um, Egyptian scarab beetles. I just wonder, are they extinct? Because I'd never see or hear of them anymore. No, we still have the dung beetles, and there's a lot of different kinds of them. Some of them will roll the ball of dung away, like the Egyptian scarab, and others will just feed within the cow patty or burrow underneath it. Uh, but we introduced uh, some African dung beetles back in the 1960s and 70s, and that was not a good idea because they have put competition on our native species, and they can be a pest. Um, but we still have, we don't know of any extinct species of dung beetles. Now we do, now there are carrion beetles. These are the red and black things that get in dead animals and are very important for de- decomposition of, you know, uh, animals that die in nature. And these, we have a, a endangered species of a carrion beetle that used to be in Mississippi. The last one was collected at the scene in the 1940s. And there's only a few of those left. But we do have some extinct species of butterflies. We have one in the museum here that is 
not extinct, but we have uh, specimens that you can see of what it once looked like. Well, thank you. Thanks, Sue. Always good My, to hear from you. The, Go the ahead, Dr. Major. Beetle, the carrion beetle, uh, the one, one of the ones you were talking about anyway, was closely associated with a passenger pigeon. Is that correct? I, I missed your, your question. No, I'm saying one of the carrion beetles that uh, has virtually gone extinct was related to the passenger pigeon. Um, oh, is that correct? It's that is there's speculation and suggestion that the loss of the passenger pigeons led to loss of this carrion beetle because they um, tended to be they can be captured with uh, chicken uh, chickens and so that could be a cause but we don't have proof. Okay, thank you. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Time for another break. When we come back, with we'll have more with Dr. Richard Brown, the former director of the Mississippi Entomology Museum at Mississippi State. We're talking caterpillars and other bugs found in Mississippi. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions, so stay tuned. Call with your questions and comments. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. I'm Kevin Farrell, and I'm here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Our guest today is Dr. Richard Brown. To join the conversation, we've got some open phone lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. We've got Mike on the line from Memphis with a question for us. Good morning, Mike. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Um, my big question is, what do these caterpillars turn into? And specifically, what do those tomato worms turn into? <laughs> yes, Mike. Um, that's a good question. All the caterpillars turn into either a butterfly or a moth. And the tomato hornworms turn into a moth we call a sphinx moth. Some fly during the daytime and are called hummingbird moths. I've seen them growing up. They would come to my mom's four o'clocks, and they just they come in and stick. They have a long proboscis, five or six inches long, so they can go down into the tube and get the nectar. And then they can back up, fly somewhat backwards. And so that's the tomato sphinx that uh, that we have here. Um, but there are other sphinx moths that will have a proboscis up to a foot long. Um, but they all have a caterpillars. Foot long. <laughs> yes, yes. In the in the tropics, uh, about ten percent of the trees are pollinated by sphinx moths. They're very important to our tropical forest, and they all have caterpillars that comes that they, they they're so variable some have eye spots on the back and they will they look like you know eyes of a monster uh some are snake-like and so um, birds will leave them alone 
Well, should we not kill the tomato worms? Well, I, I always squashed them. I mean, they're eating up our tomatoes. <laughs> and so there's no way around. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way around the fact that we have to protect our food and our health, and that involves killing insects that are in direct competition with us, and they want our blood or our food. But uh, I had a spider in my house last night, and I got a jar and put it on the spider. It's a big wolf spider, and I took it outside. I mean, there's no need to kill everything that comes into the house, but if it's eating our food, and that's a problem because many of the caterpillars are big pests. You know, the cotton bollworm was a big pest for many years. Um, we have army worms that will strip the soybeans and corn earworms that eat up the corn. So they have to, you know, if you want to have your food, those have to be taken care of. So there are many kinds of caterpillars that are pests. They'll eat up the the lawn, their sod webworms, they'll eat up plums, they'll eat up apples, the apple conley moth. And so we have no shortage of pest species of caterpillars. But that's only, you know, just a small percentage of all that's in nature. I certainly appreciate that. And I guess I'll keep drowning the um, tomato worms. <laughs> well, there's, there's there's the mechanical approach, as in the foot stop or the chemical. I, but well, if you I'm find not them, much on the chemicals. <laughs> well, if if you find them, and again on the tomatoes, just look for the droppings because the caterpillars are hard to see. And once you find the droppings, then you can zero and a good stop, and you've 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 protected that tomato plant. All right, uh, Mike, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Dr. Richard Brown, former director of the Mississippi State Entomology Museum. A couple of follow-ups on that. First of all, uh, Dr. Brown, you were saying that the sphinx moths might have a, a proboscis of a foot long. Is that in proportion to the rest of their body, or do they just have these extremely long beaks, I guess? No, it's much longer than the body. It may be four times as long as the body, and it's coiled up. In fact, Darwin predicted he found a sphinx with with a proboscis i think it's about 13 inches and he predicted that there would be a flower somewhere that would have the tube that would be of equal length and that got confirmed hmm. they found the flower that the sphinx would pollinate and it had a very long tube uh and we were talking about what caterpillars become and you told us a little bit about the tent caterpillar what does it uh, become the tent caterpillar uh, produces a little a brown moth, medium size, maybe three-quarters of an inch across. And it's not colorful at all. It's just brown and rather boring. The caterpillar is more colorful than the moth itself. And they'll be flying. They've got a little single narrow white stripe across the wing and rather squarish. They'll be flying to the lights in the next uh, about two weeks from now. We'll start seeing those at the lights. And then, you know, we touched on this just a minute ago, but talk a little, if you would, between the balance between protecting our food source, our crops, and our plants, and trying to help preserve nature as best we can. Well, that's essential. If, if uh, we didn't have caterpillars are the main source of food for nestling songbirds. And uh, a friend of mine, David Wagner, has a wonderful book. I'm a plug-in. It's called Caterpillars of Eastern North America, uh, put out by Princeton. It's a Princeton field guide. 
and it's inexpensive, and he's got hundreds of photographs of caterpillars. But he made a quote in his book that spring would be silent in a forest without caterpillars. Because without caterpillars, we wouldn't have our songbirds. Because that's what nestlings, that's the primary food for the nestling birds. And they can eat a lot of caterpillars in a day's time. I mean, I guess that's true of, of an ecosystem is sometimes we might think something's a pest or whatever, but everything in nature seems to have a purpose in conjunction with the other creatures in the world. Yes, and, and it's difficult because it's a, it's a food web. It's not one thing dependent on another. It's all interconnected, and we take out one little piece, and that affects other species. So you can have a collapse of a natural ecosystem by by removing, eliminating certain species. Uh, unfortunately, we have the state parks and, and federal national wildlife refuges and national forests, and they are reservoirs of our natural diversity and so important to maintain uh, what we have here in Mississippi and the rest of the country. Uh, sadly, many of our unique habitats are are being um, lost. Our prairies, our, we had a natural prairie in Mississippi, and there's only about 1 or 2% of that prairie now remaining. And they have caterpillars and moths on it that aren't found anywhere else in the world. And our coastal islands, uh, offshore, the, the, the uh, Gulf Coast and islands are, are very unique in, in the kinds of insects and moths with many new species of moths, each having a caterpillar, that have been found in these habitats. And I think, uh, hopefully, maybe I'm, that it seems like uh, we're maybe more aware of that now in, 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 in efforts to try to maintain and preserve um, are these ecosystems have improved. Do you agree with me? Am I on the right track there? Well, yes, there is, there is a big effort, but it's very difficult to compete with the economy. And um, many of the places where I started uh, doing surveys and research on the moths in the Alabama Gulf Coast back in the 80s, uh, many of the locations where I used to do samples are now golf courses or uh, condos or apartments. And so it's very important that we have land protected. And the Nature Conservancy is so important in assisting this effort. Um, that to protect examples of these habitats. Often it's a, a single species like the beach mouse that is used as a reason. But the beach mouse is just one species. There's many other species that would be threatened and lost if that habitat wasn't preserved. And so um, it's so important that we have these natural resources and that we support legislation to uh, protect our natural resources, both state and federally. Very good. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. We've got a pet question, I think, and it's coming from Jim in Lumberton. You're on the air with us, Jim. Go ahead. Yes, sir. I wanted to ask the veterinarian. I got a, about a 14-pound, uh, mostly a long-haired dachshund, uh, five years old, and she starts coughing and gagging when she's out running. Uh and I've had her on Ivermec liquid ever since she's been a, about three months old. Uh, I usually give them about a half a cc every month, except 
uh, December, January, and February, and uh, it looks like indigestion, but I don't know. What, what's your idea? So she's done a lot of coughing and gagging, is that correct? Just when she's out running. Does she tire out, or does she keep running? She keeps running. Okay. You know, first of all, I would have her check for heartworms. I think it's important. Uh, you may be uh, correct in giving that dosage. Um, this is, of course, a lot of uh, people use that. It's off-label for uh, because it is a large animal uh, preparation. But I would have her checked and be sure that she doesn't have heartworms. She may have. Is this more seasonal or is it uh, all the time? It seems to be all the time. Yeah. She may have just basically a pharyngitis which caused by allergies. She's out close to the ground, uh, mm-hmm. you know, moving all the time. And I suspect that it could be uh, more like a pharyngitis, which is kind of comparable to our sore throat. Uh, but I would definitely, as a just to rule out, have her check for heartworms to be sure that she doesn't have them. After that, uh, certainly you could uh, talk about treatment then. Okay. I sure thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks for the call, Jim. Uh, let's uh, stay on the phone lines on Creature Comforts, and next we'll talk to Nancy in Biloxi. Good morning, Nancy. You're on the air with us. Good morning. My mother used to have a recipe that she would put on the leaves of tomato plants and other plants. It was She would mix up a lot of Dawn dishwashing liquid really heavy and take the the suds and put them on the plant and that way the bugs and like hornworms and things like that would stay away from it. They didn't like the taste. Uh, Dr. Brown, any thoughts? Does that seem like a, a way to, to well, combat the, these? There's we we did our grandparents and great-grandparents lived in an era without the modern insecticides, and they had many home remedies. Uh, some uh, undoubtedly worked, and others not so much. Uh, I can't comment specifically on any particular home remedy. Um, the, I know my mom would plant certain flowers uh, and things that seemed, she said were repellent to insects. And we don't have a lot of data to say, how much they may have helped. And the same applies for some of the home uh, natural remedies. And so I can't say anything more than that. All righty. One more phone call before our next break. We'll speak with Rachel in Eupora. Go ahead, Rachel. You're on the air with us. Okay. So um, I know that a spider is not an insect, but I have a question about spiders. Can I throw it out there? Sure, Sure you can. Uh, I have um, a golden orb weaver, uh, just a tiny one, in my rose bush, and uh, it weaves a beautiful web, and when they get big, they're gorgeous. They're black and yellow on their back. My question is, um, when a a, uh, spider is weaving a web, uh, is that a female spider? Do the males weave webs? You know, um, I've been doing this for 
plus years, and no one has ever asked me that question. <laughs> okay, maybe it's I, a question I, for another time. No, I I've always assumed it was the female, but I don't. That has the spinnerets, but males can also spin silk, and they do that whenever they get ready to mate with the female. So there may be males, but I think it's mostly the females for catching food, but I cannot uh-huh. guarantee yeah. that. But they, they have these spinnerets that it's amazing to watch them do this spinning. And the, oh, the I know. Orb weaver, they, and, you know, they're going to catch honeybees that come to the roses. They'll catch pollinators, uh-huh. so they're, they're not innocent, so to speak. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I do, I do still love... Uh, I'll I'll have to sacrifice the odd honeybee. I I do love honeybees, but uh, my spider is something unusual to have there by my door, and uh, and I haven't seen any bees on that rose bush. Uh, so anyway, I'm gonna let nature take its course. Well, that's what I think is the best thing to do. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for your question. Uh-huh. And uh, Libby, you wanted to jump in? Might, yeah, if I can just jump in there. Uh, sh- uh, that is true that it's almost always the female. In fact, pretty much, you know, every species that we've got, it's the female that, that um, weaves the web. And the male is usually smaller, and he's kind of on the edge of the web just waiting his time. And sometimes the the males don't live nearly as long as the females live. All right. It's time for our last break of the hour. If you missed any part of today's show, make sure you subscribe to our podcast using any podcasting app, searching for Creature Comforts. Or you can download the MPB Public Media app and get access to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Back to wrap things up after this. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the hour, Dr. Richard Brown, former director of the Mississippi Entomological Museum. If you missed any of today's program, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Uh, So, Dr. Brown, let's uh, talk about uh, caterpillars, what they eat. I think, are they based on eating habits that determines the different types of caterpillars we have? Uh, they, They have all kinds of eating habits. Uh, we know about clothes moths that feed on woolen, uh, woolens and anything of animal origin. And the species in this family, this group of moths, they don't feed on plants. They feed on droppings of animals. There's one associated with gopher tortoises. They'll feed on bat guano. They'll feed on fungi, but not on plants. And then mo- the majority of our caterpillars are on different kinds of plants, and these can be ferns, mosses. They can be flowering plants, pine trees. It's endless. And there's very few trees that don't have more than one, several kinds of caterpillars that feed on them. Uh, 
So they're all around us, but we often don't see them. Um, got a couple of minutes left. Um, what are there? We talked about the tent caterpillars. Are there any other uh, kinds of caterpillars people might be seeing uh, in this, or maybe in the next month or so here in Mississippi? Well, yes, but uh, to add on to about the tent caterpillars, come July and August into September, we'll see these webs on persimmon, ash, and other trees, and that's a different kind of a web maker. We call it the web worms, and they're very different from the tent caterpillars because the web worms will expand their web to take in food. They always stay inside the web. And, and if you park your car under a, a persimmon or, or tree, you'll get, or certain trees, you'll get covered by the droppings from these caterpillars. And we'll see those starting in, in uh, late June, in July. I've seen them cover whole small bushes with their silk. Um, we'll also start seeing butterflies coming out. If you've got home gardens, there's a parsley worm. Uh, that makes a beautiful swallowtail butterfly, and when it's disturbed, it will stick out these orange forks that give off a defensive chemical. We'll have uh, uh, other caterpillars, uh, uh, butterflies, many butterfly caterpillars tend to have spiny projections from the body, and if you go into the woods and along the edge of woods, and you'll see these feeding on leaves. But you, one kind of caterpillar that you need to be careful about are the stinging caterpillars. Uh, there's a, a green and brown one called the saddleback, and they've got their spines on their body are hollow, and they've got venom. Just like a wasp would sting you, these caterpillars can sting with their spines. And uh, I've had calls from emergency rooms about and describing it, and they can be very bad for some people and turn your arm into a rash uh, from, you know, your whole arm from these stinging caterpillars. Usually the stinging caterpillars are brightly colored. If a caterpillar is red, yellow, or brightly colored, be careful because that they're advertising themselves. Um, <clears throat> what about woolly bears? Woolly bears are... Uh, Make, make moths that we have around us that are very common, and woolly bears will feed on low-growing vegetation. There's banded woolly bears and, and many different kinds of them. They can't sting you, even though they've got a lot of hair. So they're, they're safe to, to pick up, but uh, not that I, I cannot recommend picking up caterpillars unless you are informed about what kind they are. Yeah, you certainly don't want to accidentally pick up one of those stinging, yes. stinging ones, that's for sure. Uh, how about inchworms? Inchworms, we find, uh, and they get their name because of the way they walk. Now, caterpillars have four pairs of prolegs. They're like little projections that got little hooks on them, and that's how they can hang onto a twig. And inchworms miss those prolegs, and so they loop when they walk tail to head, tail to head, and so we'll have those throughout the summer, and the moths of some of those were flying in January, the adults. Uh, we've got about a minute left. What about an online resource for someone who might want to learn more about caterpillars and insects in general? Well, if you uh, search for Moth Photographers Group, there's over 100,000 images of moths, and there's a link on the plates to caterpillars. 
and you can see many pictures. And I mentioned Dave Wagner's book on caterpillars of eastern North America. Excellent reference. All right, and remind us again about uh, the museum on the campus at Mississippi State. Where is it located? We are located in the Clay Lyle Entomology Building, uh, next to the sorority houses, and behind us is the USDA building. We're open Monday through Friday. If you want to see the research collections, please uh, give a call to information on our website for the museum. All right. That's, uh, it's been a fascinating hour. We appreciate your coming on again and to, to share your uh, knowledge about uh, these caterpillars. Thanks so much. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is engineered and produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Liz Gill. For Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest, Dr. Richard Brown, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.